Hi, and welcome to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge with Senior Ministers John and Anne Uliano. Have you ever wondered about how to better connect with God? Well, that's exactly what we're going to help you with in this week's show, where you'll learn how to more fully love God, grow spiritually, and help others. Would you open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And today I want to speak to you about the rapture of the church. While you're finding 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, I just finished reading a great book by one of our Pentecostal pioneers. Incidentally, if you weren't aware, this is a Pentecostal church and uh, we're unashamedly Pentecostal. And um, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in prophecy. We believe in um, the moving of the Spirit. We believe in that. Uh, But our Pentecostal heritage was based on five truths that our early fathers preached on all the time. And uh, after reading this book that was written by an old friend of mine called George Forbes, and George ministered here. He's now going to be with Jesus. But he wrote about his first pastor, C.L. Greenwood, who was instrumental in starting the Assemblies of God in Australia, was actually the first uh, superintendent of the Assemblies of God. C.L. Greenwood pastored the church in, in uh, Melbourne. It was, used to be called uh, Richmond Temple. It's now called Numa Church. And incidentally, they're experiencing today a great move of God at Numa Church. But there were five things that the old Pentecostals preached about all the time. And the first one was the gospel. There was always a gospel message. And here at Life Source, we carry that tradition. At the end of this service, you'll hear the gospel, and there's an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. Second thing they preached about was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is evidenced in speaking in tongues. That's um, classical Pentecostal teaching, which is different to charismatic teaching. The charismatics believe that one of the gifts of the Spirit is speaking in tongues. We classical Pentecostals believe that the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is you receive a prayer language, you speak in other tongues. Uh, Our forefathers preached that, and guess what? I'm still preaching it today. Number three, they preached holiness. And holiness was one of the big topics. And um, we've kind of changed it a little bit today. We, our expression of holiness is not focused around smoking. I think back in the old days, it was like there's blasphemy for the Holy Spirit and smoking. And they were basically the same level. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we, we teach that holiness now is just behaving like Jesus. So if you behave like Jesus, you're holy. If you don't behave like Jesus, it doesn't matter what suit and tie you wear, there's something missing. The fourth thing is that they preached on, they preached on healing. Uh, we believe in healing for the sick. And, and again, you know, today we're going to be praying for people and believing for them to be healed. We believe in the anointing of oil. And so if you request being anointed with oil, we will anoint you with oil and the prayer of faith will raise the sick. We believe in that. And the fifth thing that they preached on is called the imminent return of the Lord. What that means is that he could come back today. He could come back any moment. We we don't 
uh, preach that, well, you've got to have all these things before Jesus returns. We believe in the imminent return of the Lord. We believe it could happen today. might even happen while I'm speaking. So are you ready? That's the big question. Because let me tell you, let me tell you what's really important is that you are ready. And uh, because you do not want to be left behind. And uh, because for those who are left behind, it's not going to be an easy time. It's going to be a very difficult time. And if you're not ready, before you leave this service today, we want to pray for you to get ready. So uh, let, let me talk to you about the rapture of the church. But let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 first. He's poor. This is his final epistle, his final letter. And he writes to Timothy, the young man whom he is mentoring. And he declares, my days are just about over. I know that I'm ready to meet the Lord. And he says, finally, there is a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. How many of you are looking forward to receiving a crown of righteousness? But then he adds and he says this, but not just to me. That crown of righteousness is not just for me, but it's also set aside for all those who have loved his appearing. So we call this loving his appearing, the rapture of the church. I'm going to talk to you about where we get that word rapture because you won't find the word rapture in the Bible. It's not a Greek word. It's a Latin word. And, um, but, uh, but there is a belief that we classical Pentecostals have that's called the rapture of the church. Now, it's not just us classical Pentecostals, but there are many evangelicals that believe that. But there's also a stack of other Christians who don't believe it. And so I'm not here to argue the case if you don't believe it. I'm just sharing with what we believe. And if you're part of our church, this is what we believe. We believe that in the twinkling of an eye, there's going to be the sound of a trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us, matter of fact, why don't we read this passage of scripture? I read it actually at every funeral service that I do. I read this passage of scripture and it says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse, let's read from verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So this is, let me just press pause there for a while. Because what we believe is that when a Christian dies, their body goes into the ground, but their spirit goes to be with the Lord. And so what we believe is on this special day that Jesus will bring with him the spirits of those who have preceded us. And it goes, for this we say uh, to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now that word asleep is a metaphor for those who have died. The Bible uses sleeping as a metaphor for those who are dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. 
So consequently, we don't believe in a secret rapture. We believe that when the rapture happens, there'll be, there'll be noise. There'll be a sound. It won't be secret. It'll be with the shout, with the trumpet. It'll be, an, uh, it'll be a notification. And, uh, and then it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what, what happens here is that the bodies of the dead will rise from the grave and their spirits then will be joined as Jesus brings back from heaven their spirits. And then it says, then we are alive and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, then what happens is that our bodies will be transformed. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where this corruptible body will take on incorruption, the twinkling of an eye. We will be changed and, and we will receive at that time the rapture, the resurrected body, as will those who have preceded us. They will rise from the dead and will meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with the Lord forever. And it says, comfort one another with these words. So I want to comfort you this morning. Are you ready to be comforted? And, uh, you know, some of you, and, and, and we've got someone here who lost their mother on Friday. And the, those of us who are Christians believe this. The resurrection is coming. We will meet them again. My father went to be with the Lord 25 years ago. And, um, and he's waiting for the resurrection. And as are we. Now, the rapture of the church is when this happens. Now, the Bible tells us that at least four things need to happen before the rapture. And all these four things have already happened. But it talks about four things. Number one, there's going to be a great persecution against Christians. Matthew 24, 9 to 10 says that you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. What's interesting is when we read uh, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is actually answering three questions that the disciples were asking him. And so what we've got to do in, in reading Matthew 25 and 26 is discern, was he referring to the destruction of the temple when he was referring one stone will not be left on another? Or is he referring to the end times? And so when, when he talks about let not your escape be on the Sabbath in Judea, then he's referring to the Jews. But when he says you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He's not referring to the Jews. He's referring to the Christians. And so what he says here is that you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, because we're Christians will be hated by all nations. That's happening right now. Then he talks about the love of many will grow cold. Guess what? A lot of that happened during COVID. Oh my goodness. Did the love of many grow cold during COVID? I'm talking to pastors all over the world, all over Australia. And so many churches have just, people have disappeared. Bang, they've gone. And, um, and I praise God that your love has not grown cold. I'm so glad that you're still here. But uh, I'm sure that you've got friends whose love has grown cold. And it's time to get back loving Jesus getting back to our first love and not only loving Jesus, but also loving 
He's appearing, loving the fact that very soon he's coming back. The third thing that says will happen in the last days is a great apostasy. That day will not come unless there's first a great falling away. And uh, we're talking about deceiving spirits. We're talking about doctrines of demons. We're talking about teachers who will tell people what they want to hear. And that's happening right now. There's something called progressive Christianity, which is just this. It's actually distorting the truth of Scripture to tell people what they want to hear. And everybody's okay. Everybody will be saved at the end. Jesus died for everybody. It's okay. Just do whatever you want to do because at the end, everybody gets saved. What a diabolical error that is. It's a deceiving spirit that's gone into the world. And uh, let me tell you something. It's only those who endure to the end who will be saved. That's what the scripture says. There's an endurance against the persecution, against the apostasy. And then this is what I love the most is this. The gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Well, let me tell you, I'm not committed to great persecution. I'm not committed to the love of many grown cold. I'm actually committed to the opposite. I'm not committed to the great apostasy. But I am committed to taking this gospel to every nation as a witness before the coming of the Lord. Amen. And that's what we committed to as a church, to be involved with the great end time harvest where the gospel is preached. And you know, the beauty of this morning right now is that this message is being broadcast all over the world. And so we're part of that end time church that believes that this gospel will be preached to all nations as a witness. And then Jesus will return. But we're a people who love is appearing. We are people and maybe... If you're not, I pray that by the end of today, you will be one of those people who love his appearing. You say, Lord, while you've given us opportunity to take this gospel, we will do so. But when you're coming, we're ready. And so, you know, when, when I was a kid, every week, seriously, every week, I'd hear, well, Jesus might come today. And, uh, and seriously, if parents wanted to cause their children to behave, all they needed to do was to leave a pile of clothes on the floor and hide. And, and if you left a pile of clothes on the floor and hid, you would literally traumatize your children because they'd be running around the house saying, is the rapture come? Have, have we been left behind? My father-in-law, who turned 91 yesterday, incidentally, he's 91 so his mother used to tell him you better behave or you'll miss the rapture and so there's a lot of rapture trauma uh, that was happening when we were kids Uh, 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 but it's it's not being afraid of his appearing it's loving his appearing that makes us who we are we are people who uh, looking and waiting for his appearing. So, so I, I know that over the years, a lot of people um, didn't buy homes because they kind of felt the rapture was going to happen before. And uh, Anne and I have always lived with this slogan. We live as if Christ were coming back today, but we plan as if he's not coming for another 100 years. 
And uh, so seriously, when I was in Bible school, I did not think that I would finish Bible school before the Lord had come. I, I honestly, and, and when Anne and I got married, there is no way in the world that we thought that we'd be celebrating our 63rd birthdays. Not a chance. We thought the Lord would certainly be back. But it's wonderful to live that way. But plan like he's not coming back for another 100 years. So if you want to buy a house, go buy a house. If you want to have children, go and have children. And don't, don't live thinking because for, let me say, I really believe the Apostle Paul thought that Jesus would come in his lifetime. He lived in the imminent return of the Lord. But a lot of things needed to be done. So don't get caught in that trap. So let me talk to you about the rapture of the church. As I said earlier on, it comes from a Latin word, raptura, which means to carry off, to snatch away. It comes from that verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That word shall be caught up is the Latin word ratura, which means God will snatch us away, will be snatched up and meet the Lord's Meet the Lord in the clouds and we will be forever with him. What a wonderful thing that is. Now, can I just say that classical Pentecostals believe that there are two events that happen. One is the rapture of the church and the other is the second coming. And... uh, I just think there's a lot of confusion when we try to mix them in together. When we call the rapture of the church the second coming, then people say, well, well, hang on here. Are there three comings of the Lord? No, no, there's two comings. But the first one, Jesus comes to the air and takes us to be with him forever. Then the second coming is not when he comes to the air, but when he comes to the ground. And so he will descend on the Mount of Olives and uh, there, there will be what we call the millennial reign of Christ upon the earth. Again, a lot of this is debatable. A lot of this has been argued for centuries. I'm just sharing with you what I believe and what we as classical Pentecostals believe. So let, let me just define the two coming events. The rapture of the church where Christ comes for his saints, and the second coming of Christ, where Christ comes with his saints. In Jude, uh, verse 14, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. You say, what, only ten thousand? No, 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 that's the interpreter's version. The Greek is murios, which means an innumerable number. So the rapture is when he comes for his saints. The second coming is when he comes with his saints. Now, you say, John, talk to us about the great tribulation. And my answer is, no, I don't want to talk to you about the great tribulation. Because... That's one area of my theology that I'm still trying to fully understand. So so where are you up to in this? Well, let me tell you where I'm up to. I I believe that we've been in tribulation for 2,000 years. So incidentally, there's not one verse in the Bible anywhere that talks about seven years of tribulation. 
Find it for me. You've, you, Google it. You won't find anywhere in the Bible that talks about seven years of tribulation. You'll find in Daniel, the last week, seven days. You'll find in the book of Revelation, periods of three and a half years. But you won't find anywhere in the Bible that talks about seven years of tribulation. So, so what, what happens after the rapture? Okay, I'm glad you asked that because I believe that what happens after the rapture is what I call the judgments of God upon the earth. And, um, and the Apostle John talks about the wrath of God. Now, what's really clear uh, is that God will always save his people from wrath. God's people are never exposed to God's wrath. God's people are always saved from God's wrath. And you say, John, you're scaring us. If you're right with God, you don't have to be scared. If you're not right with God, you need to be scared, is all I can say to you. Because what happens after the rapture is there's an incredible judgment of God. And and in the book of Revelation, we look at what's called the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments. And you can go through uh, Revelation chapter 8 to 16 and read all about that if you're interested or intrigued by all those judgments. But over and over again, the author of the book of Revelation calls it the wrath of God, wrath of God, wrath of God, wrath of God. And, um, and, and I want to say to you that you don't have to be afraid of the wrath of God if you're people who love Jesus. Can anybody say amen to that? So how does the timeline go? Okay, timeline goes like this. We have the rapture. It can happen at any time. Christians will be transformed. We'll go to be with Jesus forever and ever. Then we have what's called in uh, Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and I, love, I love the figure of speech because the Bible refers to us as the bride of Christ. Can anybody say amen to that? We're the bride of Christ. There's a beautiful parable in Matthew 25 that talks about the parable of the virgins. And when the bridegroom comes, the virgins that were ready are taken and the door's closed and they're with him. And, and then what you find is in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 19, verses 7 to 9, there's this, this beautiful picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. That happens after the rapture. That happens before the second coming. So there's something that happens for the church in heaven, which will be wonderful while judgment's happening here, which will be terrible. So you've got a choice. You can either go to the marriage supper and the invitation is out to everybody, go to the marriage supper, or you can stay down here and um, be exposed to judgment and wrath. Your choice. It's simple. Your choice. You say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, you're going to be facing wrath. Your problem. But if you today have faith, the invitation is out. And it's funny how one of the parables, well, a couple of the parables are just like this. You know, the, the messengers that go out, come on, invite people to the marriage supper. No, no, I'm busy. I, I'm, I'm too focused on materialism. I'm too focused on building wealth here. And it's like, guys, the wealth here 
is ridiculous in comparison to heaven. When the Bible describes heaven, it talks about streets made of gold. Hello? Just made it. The streets are made of gold. So whatever you're giving your life for here is incomparable compared to what God has in store for us in heaven. And so he's given this amazing invitation. Come, come and enjoy, come and enjoy. And you say no to coming and enjoying. So then after um, the, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I don't know how long that period is between the rapture and the second coming, all of a sudden we see Jesus coming to the earth with thousands, millions of his saints. And, and, uh, and then the enemy is going to be put into a pit for a thousand years. And, um, and again, is this figurative? Is this really a thousand years? I really don't know, but it's a period of time. We call it the millennium. We call it the thousand years. Is it literally 1,000 times 365 days? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. It's this long period of time, and, uh, and then there'll be peace on the earth for a thousand years. Are you excited about that? Peace on the earth for a thousand years. And we'll rule and reign with Christ. And that's the beginning of our ruling and reigning with Christ. And it won't stop after a thousand years. It'll go forever and ever when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. We will continually reign with Christ. You say, John, are there other scriptures that talk about the rapture? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because the introduction to the rapture starts in John chapter 14. When Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, Let not your heart be troubled in my father's house and many mansions, if it were not so, I go. And then he says this in verse 3. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the introduction to the rapture, that Jesus is coming back to take us to be with him for and ever and ever again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus talks about our gathering together to him. So this is a metaphor of the rapture, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Matthew 24, verses 40 to 42. Um, I, I, I love this picture. And uh, I, when I was a kid, Larry Norman, who remembers Larry Norman? Um, used to sing a song that was about this. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken. The other will be left behind. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. The other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. And again, over and over and over again, the master cometh at a time that you don't expect him. There's this, there's this constant repetition through the gospels of this is day coming when the master turns up. Are you ready? That's the big question. Are you ready? Matthew 25 um, talks about the parable of the ten virgins. Quite, quite, um, uh, it's, it's interesting how the early Pentecostals interpreted the parable of the ten virgins. And so they, the, they all had lamps and, um, and they all fell asleep, including the wise ones. But when they heard the bridegroom is here, the wise ones had enough oil to cause their lamps to burn. And, and the early Pentecostals interpreted that as those who have the Holy Spirit are the wise ones. Those that don't will be left behind. Basically, I, I really believe the parable is about being ready. And if you want to read the baptism of the Holy Spirit into it, I think that's really pulling it a bit too far. But nevertheless, the fact is we've got to be ready. 
and, uh, and, and I love the, the imagery of uh, the bride being ready and uh, what a beautiful imagery that is. But it's certainly about a particular time, kaboom, the door gets shut and only those who were in. And you see this imagery. I don't know if you can see the imagery between Noah's Ark and, uh, and uh, the, the imagery of the door shut for the wise virgins. They're saying, please let us in. I'm sorry, but it's too late. The door was open when the invitation was free. But now that it's closing time, it's no longer available. How many of you can understand that we are now living at a time where the door is open? As it was in the days of Noah, the door to the ark is open. Whosoever will can come in. But the day comes when the door is closed. You don't want to be on the other side of the door when the door closes because then there is no opportunity for salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Are you getting this? I know I'm going at a million miles an hour, but you are incredibly intelligent, bright, astute people, and I'm sure that you can follow. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 to 53. This is what it says. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortality must put on immortality. And there you, again, you see the repetition between 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, where the dead in Christ rising first, we are, who are alive will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Our earthly bodies will be changed. How wonderful. We're going to lose every single wrinkle. We're going to lose every spot. How many? He's, hey, I love this, that Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. How many of you can say, I love that fact. No wrinkles. Woo-hoo. And I love Revelation chapter 7. And, and uh, my friend Mervyn, uh, Melvin quoted it this morning. It's interesting. At the end of chapter 6 of Revelation, it talks about the wrath of God has come and then the scene changes to heaven where there's a multitude that no man can number. And the question is, well, where did these people come from? And the answer was, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. And again, you know, right now we are in tribulation right now. You, you go to the Middle East and ask people whether they're in the great tribulation or not. And I'll tell you, we've been in the Great Tribulation for a lot longer than seven years. Oh, my Lord, it would have been awesome if it was only seven years. But this thing's been going on for decades and decades and decades. And the John the Beloved sees this vision, a great multitude that no one could number of all nations, tribes and peoples. It just, just spontaneously appears in heaven. And, and if that's not a picture of the rapture, I don't know what is. Because, because they said, where do these people come from? It's like, this is the people that have been raptured. They've come out of the great tribulation. They've been persecuted. Yeah, the, 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 they've resisted. They've endured to the end. But now they're in heaven. And, and, and I love what it says. A great number that no one could number of all nations, tribes, people, tongues, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palm branches in their hands, crying out salvation belongs to our God and to the one who was and is and is to come. And, and, and these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. These are the ones who've kept themselves pure. These are the ones who have loved his appearing and they will be forever with the Lord. You know what? Just one more verse. 
And this is the one that we use all the time to encourage people to come to church. And it's, do not forsake the assembling together, as is the manner of some, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. But it says, but exhorting one another so much more as we see the day approaching. And this is referring to the rapture, the day approaching. It's coming. It's coming. Let, let, let me finish this morning. I, and thank you, Mayor, for giving me the finishing note. Don't you love the finishing note? Ah, maybe we need to get a trumpet blast on that keyboard. And uh, that, that would be awesome as well, because then those who are asleep will certainly wake up. And uh, let me just share the difference between the rapture and the second coming. As I said before, the rapture, Christ comes to the earth, to the air. The second coming, Christ comes to the earth. And uh, anyway, if, if anyone are interested in these notes, please email and I'll send you my whole notes and you can have them with all the verses, all the Bible references. Um, the rapture, as I said before, Christ comes for his saints, whereas the second coming, Christ comes with his saints. The rapture is an event that brings deliverance. We're delivered from this world. How many of you are looking forward to deliverance? But the second coming is an event that brings judgment. And uh, watch out. Um, the rapture can occur at any moment, but the second coming can only occur after certain events have happened. And uh, the New Testament calls the rapture the day of Jesus Christ. Six times in the New Testament does Paul refer to the day of Jesus Christ. And whenever you read the day of Christ or the day of um, Jesus, the Messiah. It's referring to the rapture. 29 times the Bible refers to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not the rapture, it's the second coming. And, um, and so we need to differentiate between the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And when you read the day of Christ, it's the rapture. You can find it in 2 Thessalonians 2.2, 2, 1 Corinthians 1.8, Philippians 1.6, the day of Christ. And God's prepared us for the day of Christ. He that began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ. That's when the work is complete in us when Jesus returns for his church, the rapture. But the second coming is the day of the Lord and it's a day of judgment. Watch out. Let me finish by saying this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. People are complaining about you promised that this is happening. Why isn't it happening? Why hasn't Jesus come back? You said that he's going to come back soon. And, and Peter is trying to answer this question. And he says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I think we can never, ever lose sight of the fact that has it been long in coming? Yes, it has. But you know what I hear in heaven? I hear, come on, just one more. Just one. That my house might be filled. Go to the highways. Go to the byways. Go to the nations of the earth and bring them in. More. I need more in my house. I, I, I want more in my house than will be in hell. And I really believe that we are certainly living in the last days where there's never been such an advance in missions as we're seeing today. 
We've got missions organizations that are targeting every people group on the planet, translating the Bible into every known tribal language on the planet. There is a force behind us that we are involved in. And what an incredible joy it has been over the last 20 years to be involved in in a network that's planted 30,000 churches. We're on the front line. We're not on the back line. We're on the front line. We're not on the back foot. We're on the front foot. We're taking this gospel to all nations as a witness. We as a church have decided we're going to put up our hand and be part of that end time church that preaches the gospel to the nations of the world that goes out saying, come on, get yourself ready. Jesus is coming back. And I'm telling you, if you lose sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back, you will be sidetracked. You will be unfocused and materialism and the things of this world will take your attention. But today, I I, want to stir your attention to love his appearing, to love the fact that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a church. He's coming back for a people who are God lovers that are looking forward to his appearing, that are looking forward to spending eternity living with him, who are people who've been washed with the blood of Jesus, whose garments are not muddied, whose garments are not impure, whose garments have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who are ready to meet the King, who are saying, Jesus, when you come back, I'm ready to rejoice and I'm ready to spend eternity with you. Thanks for choosing to listen to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge. If you like this week's podcast, then please share it with a friend. More information about who we are is available at lifesource.org.au. On behalf of Senior Ministers John and Ann Giuliano, we look forward to connecting with you next time at the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge.